Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of the second book of Kings, that is Malachim Bet, chapter 17, Perak Yud Zion. We are at verse 24, that is Pasuk Chaf Bet, and we are about to read the second half of the chapter that deals with the destruction and exile of the northern kingdom of Israel. As we read in the first half of this chapter about the terrible disaster of the fall of the northern kingdom to the Assyrian army and the exile of the at least the leadership of the of the um, people of the northern kingdom into Assyria and other places we will now read what happened in that land afterwards now one of the things that I want to point out is it's clear from both evidence throughout Tanakh throughout the uh, the words of the prophets, as we'll see later, and from archaeological evidence and data and other historical evidence, that it seems pretty clear that when the northern kingdom was conquered uh, and wiped out by Assyria, there were really three groups of 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 Israelites. Um, uh, you know, uh, among the people, there were kind of three sets of people, uh, three reactions. One was the people who were forcibly removed from the land and taken into other parts of the Assyrian Empire. Those were, as we see from evidence from the Assyrian records of this event that have been archaeologically uncovered, that approximately 29 to 30,000, a little bit under 30,000 people, presumably of the leadership, especially from the capital city of Samaria itself, were sent into exile, basically decapitating the leadership of the masses and ending the, the northern kingdom of Israel as a political entity. The second group was the group who, many, who apparently went and joined the brethren in Judah in the south. Archaeological evidence also clearly indicates that there was a huge wave of immigration from the north into the south. Um, during this time period. So many of the people of the ten tribes joined their cousins in the south and became part of the kingdom of Judea. The third group were those who remained in the land. Um, and we, we're going to see later on during the reign of King Hezekiah, that, you know, that some of these people, many of those people were asked to join in the Passover celebrations uh, at the temple many of whom derided and laughed at the, um, at the southerners uh, at the kingdom of Judah and didn't want to participate. But it, well, for one thing, it's evidence that there were Israelites who still remained in the northern lands and eventually mingled with the groups of people that we're about to read about because Assyria, in place of the leaders who were exiled, they brought in new ones. And that's what we're going to read about now, and that would be the fourth group of people, the people that came from outside in. So Vayave Melach Ashur, the king of Assyria, brought Mibabal from Babylon, Umikusa, and from Kuta, Umeava, Umechamat, Usifarvayim. From these places, these are place names. He took people from there, Vayoshev Baare Shomron, and he settled them in the cities of Shomron. One gets the sense that the um, cities where the centers of power were were being settled by people from outside while the, uh, while the, um, Farms and the and the uh, you know the farmlands and the small villages scattered throughout the countryside 
those were more likely re remained in the hands of the of the peasantry of the lower classes who were from the original Israelites. So he settled them in the cities of Shamron, Tachat Bnei Yisrael, in place of the people of Israel who had been who had been exiled by Yeshu at Shomron, and they inherited the leadership of Samaria, Vayeshu Biareha, and they settled in the cities. Um, and it was in the beginning when they resided there, they did not fear God. And God sent uh, lions against them, and the lions were killing people among them. Now, uh, this is a little unusual uh, because lions, you'd expect, would be more likely to kill people out on the countryside than people in the cities, which makes this a little bit more remarkable. Now, what is the point of these lions, and why is it that God like, cares about what these people are doing? Like Until now, we've been reading about the relationship between God and the northern people of Israel, right? and, or the southern people. In other words, the people of Israel in general. And when the people of Israel act good, God treats them good. When people are bad, God treats them, punishes them. But now we have these foreigners that have their, their lifestyle that they've always had, and they come here, and, um, and they're just continuing their lifestyle. They didn't know anything about God, right? They're just doing what they always did. So why would God punish them here any more than he would have punished them wherever it was that they lived before? So the, the general understanding of the commentaries here and the sense that we get is um, there's several approaches. One is the approach of saying, well, the, of the special holiness of this land, of this place. And in the land of Israel, you know, uh, one has to behave in a specific way. Uh, one has to fear God. And that's one approach um, to understand this. The other approach, which a lot of the uh, commentaries describe, is that when these people saw, right, the the northern kingdom of Israel being exiled, in their minds, that meant to them, right, that God is nothing, right? There is no such thing as a concept of God. And as we see as we go through, because if God was really something, then God would have kept the people there. He wouldn't have destroyed them. He wouldn't have exiled them. He wouldn't have ended this kingdom. And I want to go take this thought a little bit deeper and understand and ex explain the following idea. The, and, and, and we're going to see this expressed through in, in the upcoming verses. So I'm going to point it out now so that you can pick up on, on what the verses are trying to say. The concept of monotheism, the concept of God, right? I, the basic underlying idea, you know, according to Maimonides and according to, uh, you know, um, many thinkers is that if there is a single God, who is the creator of the universe, then there is a purpose to the universe, a purpose to this world that, that we're in which we exist. Once a person determines that there's purpose, right, then one has to think, okay, there's a reason why we're here. How do we behave? How do we act? In other words, we have to do something. We have to be a certain way. If you don't accept the idea of monotheism, if you think that the world is, is run by a ton, all sorts of deities and powers and whatever you want to call them, right? Then there's no purpose. And the only thing we need to do in order to gain favor in this world to, to be successful is learn how to satisfy that this particular deity or how to work this particular problem. But one doesn't get an overarching sense of purpose, right? Now, as we're going to see soon, 
many of these people, before they came here, they did see, they understood that there was an overarching deity, a God over all the world, right? They understood that and they knew that, so there was some sense of living in a certain way, a certain set of morals and ethics. Because there was, there is, we all have the innate sense that when we think if there, there is a purpose to this world, we automatically, our hearts automatically take us to the point, well, that means I have to live a good life. I have to be a good person, right? So they, they, kept, they did have these ideas of these deities, these sub-deities, and these s little smaller gods, which they did worship, which was a big mistake and a big problem, but there was some overarching sense of purpose. And in their mind, that was, that was exemplified by the religion of Israel. But they made a big mistake. They also thought that this God, this one monotheistic, the, 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 not monothe the, the one overarching God, right? Also, what, what he wants is they, they had this tension. Does he want us to behave well? Does he want us to act well? Or does he just want us to serve him better, right? And they made the mistake, in other words, by bringing him more sacrifices and so on. So when they saw the destruction, right, they said, well, the path that Israel was trying to teach us obviously wasn't the point. So what all we need to do is, is this is God just like uh, the other gods. We bring him some sacrifices, we bring him some sacrifices. And they missed the entire point of the, what's really the, in essence, the entire point of the entire Torah, of the entire Tanakh. And we've been emphasizing this a lot as we go on and on. Now, if you remember, when, when God sends lions, right? If you go back to chapter 13 in the first book of Kings, uh, the second half of the chapter, but that, then that entire chapter there dealt with a prophet who went to Jeroboam. The Jeroboam was the first king to break away from Judah and say to the people, we can worship God by bringing him sacrifices anywhere. And he built the temples in Bethel, <coughs> right? And, and, and Don, we, we read about that back then. That was the beginning of the terrible descent of the northern kingdom into idolatry. At the time, a prophet came and lectured Yeravam, right, and told him, this, what you're doing is terrible. This needs to stop, right? And, and he performed a miracle, right? And, and, uh, and, and, but Yeravam didn't listen to him. When, when he went there, if you remember that story, right, that God had told, given him specific instructions not to stop in the city with Jeroboam at all. Don't stop, don't eat anything, don't drink anything, just go and leave because you need to demonstrate just how abominable this practice is and just how terrible it is and where it's going to lead. On the way out, that prophet got duped by either a false prophet or a true prophet that was trying to dupe him. You can go back and listen to the podcast then, right? And when... And he got duped when somebody came to him and said, well, I heard another prophecy, and that prophecy was that you should come and eat with me. And he ended up not fulfilling his, his obligation to God, and he sat down and ate. Which basically is saying, when, when he fell and, and he lost his resolve to demonstrate just how bad this path is, he was struck down in punishment by a lion. What does it represent to us being struck down by a lion? What's this point about lions? Because this is, in essence, what makes human beings human. The, when we recognize, right, that, um, that this world has a purpose and we're supposed to behave and act in a certain way 
and we act in a certain way because it's moral, because it's ethical, because it's right, because there's a purpose to this world, which is the essence of the idea, of the underlying idea of the entire Bible, right? If we lose that, and we just do things because of all the various causes around us, because we want this, or we need that, or we have to do this, or we have to do that, we lose the essence of our humanity, right? And then we're just like any other animal, and we fall prey to the lion. That's what the representation of being punished by a lion is. And that's what we're seeing over here, too. Why is it lions? Why are lions killing them? Because by, by throwing out the basic idea of monotheism, the basic idea that God wants us to behave and act in an ethical and a moral way, right? And therefore, we should be good people. Once we lose that, we lose everything. We lose our humanity. We become just like the animals. Everything we do is simply because we want to we wanna get more money, we want to get more food, we want to get more stuff to eat, we want to be rich, we want to have all the pleasures of life, etc. And we lose the entire moral imperative to be good people and live good lives. Now that we have that background, we can understand the rest of this chapter. The people who are getting killed by the uh, lions, instead of turning to God, of course, they turned to the king of Assyria, Hagoyim. And, and, and so it was brought to his attention. Those nations that you took out of their own place and exiled them to Samaria, they don't know the laws, see, this of the God of the land. In other words, it's not so much they don't know the God, but they're not living his laws. They're not living the way, it, the way he instructed them to live, which is, right, Zedeku Mishpat, right? Justice and righteousness. Mishpat, here is justice, right? And God sent the lions against them. And, the, and therefore God is killing them because they don't know the laws, the way of life of the God of the land. So So the king of Assyria said, Send there one of the priests, right? that we took out of that land so he can go back there and teach them how to live in such a way that the lions won't attack you. And he can go, right, and he can teach them the law, right, the mishpat of the God of the land. And one of the priests who had been exiled from Shomron Came Vayeshev Bebeit El, of course, the town where the temple of Jeroboam was. And he would teach them how to fear God. So one can understand this that he that many ways that he would taught uh, in many traditions. You know, traditionally this is understood that he 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 taught them to convert to Judaism. The key here is is how he taught them year of right fear of God. He doesn't say how to how to sacrifice to him, how to do the rules. So in, in this interpretation that I'm using now, um, is he taught them how to fear God, right? Fear God meaning the awe of God, which leaves one, when one has awe of God, one realizes God is the creator, requires something from us. And what did they do? They didn't understand this lesson, right? Notice, nowhere in this chapter does it say that the lions actually stopped attacking them, right? <laughs> but... Uh, it, and and it's, it's a glaring uh, omission. You know, it doesn't say that the lion stopped. 
And this is something I, I've seen many commentaries assume that the lion stopped because now they, but it, but it doesn't say that and it won't say that, right? Because that it depends to the extent which they actually learned to fear God. But what did they actually do? Verse 29 says, And what they did was each nation went and served his own God. Right? And they put them, they put their own gods in the, in the houses that they had built. Each nation in the cities that they had settled, in which they settled. And I was listing each nation where they came from and the God that they worshipped. These are names of different gods that they made, each nation making uh, their own god. The people from Av, the, the Avim people made their two gods were Nivchaz and Tartak. And the Sepharvi people, they would sacrifice their children in fire to their gods um, named Adramelech and Anamelech. Okay, those were the gods of the Sepharvim people that they did this awful barbaric practice. And But they also had fear for God. So they also understood that there was a God over all the gods. And some of them, uh, uh, they made uh, priests for the altars. And they would make in these altar houses these things. So there was fear of God going on, a worshiping of God. So it's a big, big mumble jumble. At, at verse 33, they were fearing God. But they were still worshiping their gods, just like the nations from which uh, they were exiled. Until this day, they do the same thing, right? They do not fear God. So now we just said before, they did fear God. And now it's saying that they did not fear God. So, so this is wh why I'm saying that it was a mix. To some extent, he was successful and taught them the fear of God, which means the, uh, the, the uh, understanding that one has to live a proper life and do and live in a moral ethical way. And if you think that I'm wrong, well, let's, uh, let's read the rest of this verse, right? Well, the ones that were not Yireimet Adonai, right? It doesn't mean that they didn't bring sacrifices to him. What it means is, and I'm finishing verse 34 now, and they did not do, right? This is kichukosam, like the laws, uchamishpatam, and like the 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 the, the or, uh, ordinances, v'cha Torah and the teachings, v'cha mitzvah and the commandments, asher tziva Adonai et bnei Yaakov, asher sam shemo Yisrael, those that way of life which God had commanded the children of Jacob, whom He named Israel. So that's the key here. The ones that some were were fearing God, and those actually did live a proper life, or at least tried to. But the ones that were not fe fearing God were the ones who did not do and did not live. The emphasis here being on doing, living, and acting, and not on sacrificing and bamot, altars, etc. And what was it that God did to the people of Israel? He gave them rules. He gave them laws. He taught them a way of life. And God had, had made a covenant with the people. And he commanded them as follows. Lo tiru. Elohim Acherim, do not fear other gods. What happens when one fears other gods? You know, the God of this, the God of that, the God of the other thing. One 
tries to placate them, and you don't try to placate them by bowing to them, and worshiping them, don't bring sacrifices to them, but rather, who should you fear? Only God, who brought you from the land of Egypt, with great strength, and so he had an outstretched arm, only, only God himself, the one who has the power to free you from the bondage, from human bondage, he is the one who you should fear, and you should bow to him, and you should only sacrifice to him. And remember the, the famous idea of Maimonides, which is glaringly clear from this verse, and that is, is that God could not wean them and say, don't sacrifice at all. He had to say, because um, that is, it's so deeply ingrained in people in those days, how to sacrifice to God, bring him zivachim. Remember, at the same time, we're going to hear Isaiah if you read the book of Isaiah, who's prophesying at the same time that these words are being written, says, you know, God doesn't really even want these sacrifices. What he really wants is your behavior. As we see in the next verse, right, that you can bow to God, you can sacrifice to him. However, the point, it's the laws, and the rules, and the teaching, the commandments. Asher kosav lochem, that God wrote down for you in the Torah. Tishmerun lasot kol yamim. Those are the things that you need to be careful to do all the day. V'lotiru alem achim, but do not fear other gods. V'habrit asher karati etchem lotishkachu. And the covenant which I have made with you, you shall never forget. V'lotiru alem achim. But rather, ki emet Adonai eloichem tirao. You should only fear the Lord your God. He is the one who will save you from your enemies. However, however, now back to these people that are living in these lands, right? And this, uh, if, if we, one understands that they actually converted to Judaism, which is the traditional understanding, then one would understand that these people were then obligated to keep the covenant of Judaism. However, if one understands that these laws and rules and ethics and morals are applicable to everyone in the world. Everyone needs to live this way. Then this chapter here would be a proof that God expects this kind of behavior even from these Gentile nations, these non-Jewish nations, should also live in the way the Torah wants them to live. And, and in the book of Isaiah, again, who is speaking at the same very time, we see, obvious, we see clearly that Isaiah felt that the, at least the just and righteous life was expected to be something that the entire world would learn from the people of Israel. If we try to remember to read this chapter in its context. But they did not listen. They continued on this ways as they did before. They did fear God. However, at the same time, yet so it was a big mishkebabel. So the fact that sometimes it says they feared God, sometimes they didn't fear God, it was all a big mix-up and it wasn't perfect. And their descendants and their descendants' descendants. They continued living in this way just as their forefathers did all the way until this day. So there's a whole big mix of, of religions and people. And to some extent they, they feared, to some extent they didn't. Interestingly enough, it doesn't say anything about what happened to the lions. And what many assume that, that this... That this that there's partial, somewhat, a little bit allegiance, uh, allegiance to God alleviated the lion problem, but I think that a much more accurate and much more is is 
way to understand the omission of what happened with the lions is to, to realize that it depends. Those, if they feared God, then the lions left them alone. If they lived as a human being, the way a human being should. But if they did not, the lions did not leave them alone. This concludes chapter 17. Chapter 18, we then turn our focus to the southern kingdom of Judah and eventually learn how uh, a new king arose which saved Judah from the same fate as the northern kingdom. That was the king Hezekiah, Hezekiah, which will lead us on a very different path, a path bringing us closer to God rather than farther. Looking forward to studying chapter 18 and, of course, the rest of the book of Kings together.